0: Don't forget to edit that, though.
1: No, don't worry about it. I don't. I don't cold open. I, I pick the cold open very carefully. <laughs> okay, just because. So wait, um, I don't. I don't leave any inappropriateness in Shadi. I, I'm. I'm. I'm very selective. That's true. You that know? is true. Yeah. So
0: wait, what are we talking about? Because I. I uh, guess we have two potential topics.
1: Oh, you've been writing all day.
0: Oh wait, I saw. Wait, did you just? Did I? Did I see in um, uncharacteristically restrained? Was that you? That was me. Wait, why? It's weird that I can't really see it. it. I saw it, but then it disappeared. Okay, hold up. Let me see where it went. Okay, Demear. the tweet
1: disappeared. I wonder. You know, you know. I'm having some interesting issues with Twitter right now. Basically, if if you go to Twitter, they hate you. Well, I don't know if they hate me, but like there seems to be a glitch. Like if I go into Twitter analytics, it's showing that I haven't tweeted this month at all. But then, <laughs> but then when I look at, at the actual tweets, they are there. Uh, huh. So I don't know what's going on. Twitter's it's having weird. having a moment. Yeah. Ah. Uh, I mean, there's plenty to talk about. Um, do you want to talk about what you're writing, or should we save that for another time? Since since people will be reading what you're writing, we can talk about that later. I haven't read it actually. I just I just helped you get it into our new website. But yeah. I so we could we
0: could talk about that, or we could talk about the more the looting thing, or we could do both, and I can just give you like a little. Um, teaser about what I what I was working on today, and then we can go to the looting thing.
1: Why don't you Why don't you save the the teaser on what you're working on today, uh, and let's just talk about the looting thing? Because, um, I mean, I feel like we'll, uh, um, yeah, we can we we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll will do a whole your segment stuff. when the article when exactly. the article comes
0: out. Like everyone's going to be talking about it.
1: Yeah, you have you have high hopes for it, and so do I. So, uh, so
0: oh, you did take a a little look at it.
1: I know. Uh, in fact, I, <laughs> I I I I was so confounded by the fact that this beautiful website that I've been slaving over is giving you trouble. So, I was just dealing with it technically. I didn't I didn't look at the content at all. I know it's about COVID, so I'm sure it's going to be very provocative. But uh, that's all I know. I th-
0: I think it'll express like what a lot of people have been thinking. A lot of I... people
1: have been saying. <laughs> COVID trutherism comes out. Uh, I look forward. I look forward. Yeah, great.
0: Okay, so tell me what you're thinking about this um, whole looting thing. So I got in that debate, um, I guess it was, I'm looking at my tweet thread, which was on August 30th. So about uh, 10 days have passed. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to talk about it after I've had some distance. I haven't really been thinking about it as much. Um, Did you
1: get okay? So why don't you read the tweet to people, uh, and then let me know. I, I'm curious how much, what kind of debate you got on on the air uh, on the air on the uh, on the internet about it. Uh, but go ahead, read your tweet so people know what we're talking okay. about. Okay. <laughs> so,
0: well, first of all, just for some context, there was that NPR interview with the author of the book titled "In Defense of Looting." I think her name is Vicky Osterweil. She's an academic of some sort, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Although, um, based on her actual writing, she may not actually be an academic. Yeah, depending how you view our um, us as a rarefied group. If I, you know, if you consider me an academic, I do. Um, <laughs> sometimes I forget, but um, so yeah, she she had this interview, but it was also controversial because NPR was platforming her, giving her, uh, you know, a pretty prominent place to expound on her views, which had traditionally not been in the mainstream of American public debate. We don't usually hear people defending, rioting and looting as something good. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a couple of things, the content, but also the platform. Is this appropriate for NPR um, to feature um, without really having it as part of a debate? So it was the interviewer And the interviewee, there wasn't a counterpoint. And, you know, if there was a counterpoint, maybe that would be more acceptable. So that was a sort of debate that was going on. Um, And I'll just maybe read one interesting um, part of the interview, which gets at the uh, the vibe. Yeah. Okay. It's actually, I I reread it today, and I was sort of struck by some of the language she used once again 10 days later. Okay. Yeah. So she's talking about looting here, and then you have the traditional silly anti-capitalist stuff. Okay, here's a little excerpt. Quote-unquote, this is Vicky Osterweil, not me. Yeah. (laughs) Looting strikes at the heart of property, of whiteness, and of the police. It gets to the very root of the way those three things are interconnected. And also, it provides people with an imaginative sense of freedom and pleasure, and helps them imagine a world that could be. And I think that's a part of it that doesn't really get talked about, that riots and looting are experienced as sort of joyous and liber- liberatory. I think that's how you pronounce that last word, yeah, liberatory. Yeah. But interesting. So she's talking about the joy of looting.
1: Mm-hmm. Like the joy just, of cooking, someone. The like joy a- of
0: cooking, almost. <laughs> but you know what? Like, I... so. Since I'm more familiar with some of this, like, um, post-modern, post-colonial, post-structuralist academic discourse, this does remind me of some of the things I would read in grad school, like critical theory, feminist theory, whatever. uh, Listeners might be intrigued to know that um, I did take a feminist theory class in in grad school. Um, I... I was actually the. I think I. I'm pretty sure I was the only guy in the course, and I don't even really remember why I took it. But
1: <laughs> I, I took I took feminism in undergrad, Shadi, and I was not the only guy, if I remember correctly. This is the '90s. So oh this yeah, is everyone.
0: History. All, all the guys were flooding into. No, the, no, no. Um, it
1: wasn't that. I'm just saying it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, I was philosophy undergrad, and and I I don't remember why I ended up taking it. Um, but I was just like, oh, let let's see what this is about. Um, eh. Anyway, yeah, I mean, look, I liked
0: it. I just, I guess apparently other guys didn't like it. Mm, um, so yeah. I was there alone and lonely in class. Um, and maybe that's where my contrarian sensibilities sort of came to the fore, because I was, um, I was the I was a man. And I, and I, and I had to, I don't even know where yeah, i you going with, with this. this. Go but on. you know, what's also funny, this is this might also come as a surprise to our dear listeners. My first published academic article was actually on feminist theory. Um, Let me pull up the title, actually, if I can. Um, (laughs) Okay, Okay, I'm searching now. Western feminist theory, and then Shadi Hamid in quotes. Let's see what we get. Oh, yes, here it is. Yay. Um, Oh, wow, that was quite the title. What was it? Okay, the title is... Between Orientalism and Postmodernism: colon, The Changing Nature of Western Feminist Thought Towards the Middle East.
1: Hmm. And where, uh, where'd you end up on that? Do you um, remember? Do you I remember think the, I, the argument of the. Of the piece? If
0: I recall, this was published. I think maybe um, more than twelve years ago. Um, that um, I think at that point I was probably. A bit more on um, the leftist, like kind of the traditional academic leftist, and I was engaging in the jargon. Um, and I think I was against Orientalism. Hmm. Now, these <laughs> now, days, however, you've embraced. I love, you Orientalism. love Orientalism. Oh
1: wait, what? I, now, it, without getting bogged down in this, being pro Orientalism is being anti Edward Said, right? Or yes, that's correct. Okay, pro, yeah, that's yeah. how it works. I yeah. think. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, go on.
0: Um, anyway, this is all an interesting divergent. Wait, how did we even, oh, okay. Yeah. It, it, so some of this language and the looting author, and I, you know, so I'm not, when I read this, I was like, this is sort of silly. It's a bit juvenile in a way that a lot of the, um, you know, quite a few authors in grad school sound sort of silly in retrospect, especially when you get into some of the, the critical theory type stuff. Um, but you know the idea of something of of um of a kind of anti-capitalist violence being some sort of self-affirmation and a way of expressing joy for the subaltern identity. I mean that's the kind of silly discourse we had back then. Yeah. But you know, putting that aside, it is I think I think what I was trying to argue in the thread, and I'll read maybe just um, a, a couple parts of it very quickly here. So I start off the thread by saying this. NPR did a service by publishing the interview on in-defense of looting. I don't mean that in a snarky way. Bad ideas should get a platform, especially when they represent a significant segment of public or elite opinion. And then I go on to say, of course, actual defenders of looting are a numerical fringe, but sympathy for looting and rioting is more common among privileged elites. Mainstream journalists, including at places like the New York Times, have been coyly legitimizing certain kinds of violence as not actually violent. So, let's not dance around these issues, considering how important they are. If you think widespread property damage and destruction of communities can be justified then come out with the full argument and let's judge it
1: on the merits. Yeah. So, um, so did you get a lot of pushback on that is the question? Apart, no, because from, apart I, from me, I guess, but like, not that I give you that no, much because, pushback.
0: Because I think it was actually like too contrarian for people to get their heads around. They're like, Shadi is like a pretty vocal critic of wokeness and, and justifications of rioting and things like that. Yet here he is... Sort of criticizing the ideas, but also defending the fact that they should have a platform and that they should be part of public debate and that we shouldn't marginalize these bad ideas, however bad they are. And I think that, I think for a lot of people, it's like contrarianism times two. And it's very hard, I think, for most normal people to criticize you when you're being doubly contrarian.
1: Yeah, yeah. Spins their head around.
0: But, yeah, look, I'm just operating in a different level of contrarianism. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: But I mean, so I don't know. Uh, so I guess let's let's just then, like, unwind it a little bit. I just jumped in and said something along the lines of, uh, you know, uh, it, it's also a sign of the times that, that, you know, this kind of stuff doesn't just get sort of laughed out of the room. And I said something uncharitable about the woman that she should be in a pigeon in a park yelling at pigeons rather than and that's
0: why I couldn't retweet you because I'm like, oh well that that's I too can't much. really like I can't endorse that. I can't platform Demir when he's yeah. saying things like that. You are like platforming
1: that. me by being on this <laughs> sharing oh, this platform with what me. That's I the done? problem. Yeah. You delegitimize yourself every time you get on this podcast. The
0: mainstreaming of Demir Maruchik <laughs>
1: Um No but you know it's it's uh um I guess it gets at that that, that question um well, uh, let me just uh, even roll back a little bit further. Um, Tom Barston, our our, our longtime listener yes. and fan, tweeted something along the lines that saying that that uh, in the last episode, uh, and I don't remember what, what it is that I might have said in the last episode, that I, too, am now finally worried about uh, the New York Times. Is that right, Shadi? Was that sort of what he was getting at, that, that like, I'm coming around to the idea of this, this threat from the New York Times going nuts?
0: Okay, so I, look, I, um, you know, like just remember not to get sidetracked too much. But yeah. like at some point, I do want to ask you yeah. about what I what seems to me to be a shift in your discourse a little bit on Ooh, this. So tell, I remember tell. maybe. Yeah.
1: No, I mean this is what I want to unpack because I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether um, because I think there's there's something interesting to discuss here about the the question of platforms, uh, and and still the question of. Of I think just the the shaming of bad ideas, which I think is good, um, and that's what I think you know life should be like, basically. So I I don't think I've really changed that much. But go ahead, like tell me tell me where you think the changes because it so seems like look, yeah. people thought in the last episode, people some people are saying Tom Barson is saying that uh, that I that I uh, that I somehow um, am am changing my outlook. That's possible. I, I don't really know what I think from one week to the next, but I, I don't think I've changed anything here. Go okay, on. let
0: me let me analyze you. Uh huh. So, I think early on, maybe a couple of months ago in in some of the posts we did on the on wisdom of crowd 's newsletter when we first started it, I think, and also on on the podcast, I think you were of the position that the New York Times being more partisan and more ideological and less reliable as a news source was annoying but not the end of the world, and in some ways, you we even welcomed it as being a way to clarify matters and to be more explicit about premises and You know, this is sort of the um, Britishization of the American press and other countries have done it. It's not not a big deal where I was more, I think, um, worried about this because I I would always complain (laughs) that, oh, you know, what should I read when I wake up in the morning? What is my source of objective information? I no longer know where to go. But also, I think I've I've been more alarmist about woke ideology as a threat to America, where I think you've tended to see it more as something merely ridiculous, mm-hmm. that it's an irritation and it's silly, yep. but that it's worth dismissing because of its silliness, yeah. where I feel like more recently I've gotten the sense that you think that you're, you're starting to be more alarmed. Um, and maybe I'm drawing on private conversations that the public is not privy to, <laughs> But I'll give you an example when we were at um, and I think it's fine to mention that we were having, you know, dinner with them. There are friends and I think this is it's public that we're friends with them.
1: I don't know, don't implicate people in our stuff, God, you and I were having dinner with some people. Go on, oh, oh wait, we can't even talk about who we're friends with no, no I mean you shouldn't be talking that you're friends with me, clearly, it's <laughs> you're, you're mainstreaming you don't wanna you don't wanna get the the, no, the look, shit look. splattered I even. Mean, anyway. yeah,
0: well, we were having dinner with you know Mustafa and Riada Akyo yeah. and um, you know, I think it's well known that those are people we were we're friendly with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, don't imply any 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 opinions to them. Just imply no, it to no. Me and you. But, it's, yeah. but
0: I'm not going to say what they were saying because it actually had nothing to do with what they were saying. I was just surprised at that dinner that you were. I think more you were making a point that struck me as being a little bit more like oh, like the woke stuff is actually, or at least it could be. More scary and more dangerous than maybe oh, I we see. initially mm. thought. Do you? Were, I mean, is that not an an accurate representation of no, what you I were mean, saying? No, I
1: mean, I guess, I guess what I was saying at the time, uh, as I recall it, is that these people are communists. That's that's all I was saying, if I remember correctly. And as a result, you know, um, uh, I, I I feel like there's a there's a level of of illegitimacy to a lot of these arguments that, and I this this get does get into it, this this silly woman and her and her lionizing of the 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 riots. Um, it's, 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 it should be, um, and now we can talk about what should is, but I, I think, uh, it's, it, it says something about the, the sad state of affairs that it's not laughed out of the room immediately at this point. Um, I think of this kind of stuff, I mean, we can, that, that, I think.
0: But why, but why should it be so, but the only reason that it should be laughed out of the room And that we should be determined to marginalize such views, as if we consider them to be, uh, in some ways, too problematic or too threatening to be part of public discourse. Right? No.
1: Again, I don't. Or you just you just think that? I just I just think I just think we as reasonable people should mock this mercilessly. Why? Because it's silly. It's silly stuff. I think it's it's ipso facto silly. I mean, but a lot of a lot of ideas are silly, and a lot of them have a public platform. (laughs) They I mean, should be laughed at again. I don't mind. The, the The main point is in my tweet, and just in general, I, I I still think I don't think I've really changed much on that. In the sense that that I, uh, if NPR wants to, you know, platform. I even hate that as a verb. But like, if they want to to give space to this sort of stuff, that tells me a lot about NPR. Doesn't tell me anything I didn't know about NPR. Mind you, also haven't listened to now in I don't know six or seven years. I don't think. And it used to be very much a part of my my, uh, my daily routine. And it was well before Trump that I stopped listening to it. Uh, or reading the stuff on there. So again, like all, 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 all sort of priors confirmed. Uh, looking, looking at that that dumbass piece. Okay, but, that's, but, that's but, fair. But
0: let me let me yeah. push myself. And I think this is where one, I think you you responded with a critique that I think is is a worthwhile one. And I mm. struggle with it myself. Where so basically, and I'm trying to develop this into not to I don't want to make this sound grandiose as if I'm coming with something completely new. Maybe some of the framing is distinctive and it's not very popular now. And mm-hmm. I think that I'm trying to develop that in my own, in my own particular way um, as a writer and, 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 and analyst, um, which is this distinction between unsettled and settled. And that's something that I lay out in this tweet thread where I say that the vast majority of issues that are controversial in our public debate today are quote unquote unsettled and and almost by definition so the very fact that we're debating these issues means that they're unsettled if they were in fact settled then there wouldn't be a debate about them for example a debate around whether slavery was morally just that is settled and that's why we are no longer debating it there um there are there's no one in mainstream or even in in fringe intellectual debates, who is going about making that argument? We're done, and there's no reason to relitigate what has been settled for um, for many decades now. Sure. Now, when it comes to um, and there's a number of other things that that also could be put in the settled category, like genocide. Now, there are people who who um, who. Uh, <laughs> support people who do genocide but very few people would actually make a full-throated argument that killing people based on race or religion and trying to exterminate them is somehow justified, right? You know, at least yeah. in America, maybe I, in mean, Chi- I don't know, maybe again, in China it's different. Look,
1: I mean uh, uh, again not to digress on this, the, the 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 problem is the category and it's the problem of like, well, what what number of, killing what number of people in what in what context? <laughs> no, but that, but and not And systematically is no. justified. I mean, no, and it, no it, one. It, so no why, one's so we my create knowledge. like a special moral category of this that that is you know, and you know, it's it's supposedly rigorously defined, but not really. And you get into then. Yeah, but therefore, that's a
0: different debate. What what constitutes genocide? All I'm talking about here is that whatever we consider to be genocide, based on various definitions, or let's not even use that word, mass killing of people based on religious or racial categories. Is not something that is unsettled. We're not. That is not a debate that we're having, and no one seems to want to have it because reasonable or even unreasonable people agreed. Just let's not get into that too much. I think it's a, it's a fair. Just take my premise. No, I'll take I your premise, but
1: I d- just bookmark it because I do want to come back to it. Go on. Okay.
0: Yeah. So so, and I guess maybe I'm focusing here more on on American public debate. So so, right now, whether rioting and looting and property damage are are not settled the reasonable uh, otherwise reasonable people seem to disagree including people at prominent outlets like the new york times nicole hannah jones early on after the the killing of of george floyd was making arguments that you know some acts that we traditionally consider to be violence are not in fact violence if they don't kill people. That's maybe a simplification of what she was saying, but I think what she was getting at is that property damage is not traditionally, it's not it shouldn't be put in the violence category. It's something a little bit different and people were then kind of laying on her and all of that. And there is, I think, a debate to be had about What constitutes, um, quote unquote, legitimate resistance? I think it's unfortunate that we have to have this debate because I think that property damage is illegal. Destruction of businesses is illegal. It is a a kind of violence in the sense of using force. Um, Theft is also illegal. So looting constitutes theft. You know, so maybe in an ideal world, these issues would be settled. But in our current debate, for whatever reason, there is disagreement about what is ex- acceptable and what is not. Now, there may also be people who consider these things to be illegal, but then they explain them away as somehow being justifiable. And that's an interesting debate and one I think that is worth having because it actually, I think, mimics some of the debates we had, um, regarding the Middle East when it, when, in a different context, when we would talk about the root causes of violent extremism. We would sometimes have this debate, which was a difficult one, where is someone justifying violence or are they trying to understand why people resort to violence? So, for example, of course, you know, most reasonable people consider um, acts of violent extremism or terrorism to be beyond the pale and unacceptable. But then when some of us would talk about. Well, maybe we should understand what is driving these terrible things instead of merely condemning it, because the only way to prevent it from happening in the future is to understand the, the quote unquote root causes. Again, this is a simplification. And then we get in this difficult, this sort of difficult debate about what is justification and what? Um, in the sense of saying this is something that is good versus what is an analytical act of understanding something bad. So I think all of this can be sort of, um, it's all relevant to the current debate about rioting and looting and destruction and even street battles where you see Antifa actually taking up light arms against whatever the other side is, the Proud Boys or whatever. So look, clearly there's a lot going on here and I think that it's useful to be clear about our premises, and what I liked about this interview in in with NPR that this author did was she was being explicit about her premises. Yeah, does I that guess. make sense?
1: No, I mean, it makes full sense. Um, I guess, I guess why why I'm I'm not, I, I mean, moved. Um, I, I guess I, I'm just sort of approaching at it from not even like a ninety degree angle to that, just a slightly. More than forty-five degree angle to I think how you're approaching it. Um, I don't. I don't really. I feel like you're 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 smuggling oh, smuggling. You're, you're, there's ideas of of um, truth being smuggled in, and that like maybe debate leads to some sort of truth claims. Maybe that the debate again, leads to some kind of discovery. Maybe it's implied in what you're saying. And that might be true. I'm just not that concerned about it, and I kind of ignore it. I guess when I look at all of these things, I see them as symptomatic. Um, and therefore, to be deplored, like one deplores a fever, and says, my goodness, country's not good. Country's in a bad place. Uh but I don't see engaging with the fever apart from denouncing it to a certain extent as an individual as someone who tries to partake in the debate um, as as anything somehow I don't see this as this like metaphysical question about the debate them itself i think I think what I was trying to express in that tweet to you was the fact that it's not self-evident how preposterous this is, Uh, tells us something about what a sad place we're in right now. Sad place, as you say, that these questions are still open. Sad place because I would hope that, you know, uh, whatever is left of our gatekeepers would at least rally around mocking something like this roundly rather than you know, a lot of people supporting it.
0: But why mock it? Why not? Why can't we simply rebut it and be clear about like why these arguments are problematic? I mean, I think, first of all, it's important to know what influential elites, even, even though they are a numerical fringe in the overall American population, they are overrepresented in elite institutions, people who have sympathy towards rioting and looting. We should know it's important to know what people believe, first of all, yeah, just look, as, as a factual, as a set of just infor- as information gathering. Again,
1: again, you know, I just I, I want to be clear on this. I, I'm not criticizing NPR for running it. Um, I'm bemoaning that it happened. It's kind of like <laughs> it, 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 I, I think there's an important distinction there. Like, do you remember there was a uh, was it David Samuels uh, in tablet two months ago went and sat? Was he was he a Holocaust denier or some some manner of kook? Sat down and gave him like three thousand, four thousand words. Oh yeah, like of a white
0: supremacist of some sort. Yeah. Of some
1: sort, you know. Sat down and talked to him. Great, great, good. Um, and everyone saw that and said, like, yeah, good on you for sitting down with this kook, you know. And it, it's not that question of platforming. I don't care about platforming. It's just it's 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 nice to see that 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 like you know you can sit down with a crazy person, talk to him for a while. and Everyone says, wow, uh, a serious journalist sat down with a crazy person, gave him time of the day, and, and let the crazy person talk for a while. I think all I'm bemoaning is the fact that that was not the discussion here. It's like good on NPR for sitting down with this batshit crazy woman and letting her like rant like the foamy mouthed homeless person she looks like.
0: Okay, but we know historically that intellectual elites have very have had very bad ideas in various periods. I mean, there you know. So Mark Mark Lilla's book on this is actually I think worth mentioning here. What is it? The 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 reckless mind where he goes through these otherwise brilliant figures in 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 modern history um and and the question is how do people who would otherwise develop into just normal normal brilliant people who aren't crazy and they may still be brilliant but they're but they are led to have led to conclude terrible things that end up hurting people and causing violence so this is not a new thing and it's something that actually happens more than we like to admit with the rarefied class of well educated elites who should know better, and I guess that's an interesting thing t- to me they should know better they should be better or be best if you will um, but they don't so but okay, so, but, so, that, yeah, I, but i, I, know, I think, know what you're saying yeah. i, I, I know
1: so what... so let me let me let me even go on the lilla thing look i i i at at the heart of this is a kind of um is passivity the right word? I, I just don't think ideas play the role that we like to think that they do. I mean, I you know, I've struggled with this in some of the writing and, like, the role of, of, of you know, what's responsible between skepticism and activism and all of this sort of stuff. But I think at the end of the day, I don't think ideas matter. I think ideas happen to people rather than brilliant people, like, create bad ideas that then harm the world. Um. Now obviously, it's not one or the other but i i i i strongly am not in the in the in the space that thinks that you know this is all a process of figuring out and growing and getting to a better place, which is i think an underlying um premise of liberal societies too right I mean that's what 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 habermas' is, his whole thing is right is that like liberal society is where you know we all communicate with each other and uh there's grounds for for uh you know this sort of interplay between ideas and and this is basically ultimately how progress happens because underlying it all is a belief in in moral progress that comes from rational discussion and i think maybe that's where it's it's that at its heart that i think i reject um and therefore I mean, I know where you're coming from with with your typology of acceptable ideas and unacceptable ideas, whereas I I step back and I look at it, and to me, it's... It's just like we've stuck a thermometer in America's ass. And every time I like a particularly dumb idea comes out, I take out the thermometer and look at it and I go, oh, boy, and put it right back in there. Yeah, That's, but look, but yeah. we
0: have dumb ideas, too. Like, someone might say, oh, my God, look at Shaddy. Yeah. Look at the dumb stuff he's been spewing for, like, the last God knows how many months. What happened to him?
1: Sure. Okay. So,
0: I mean, who's to say? I mean... We think that other people have dumb ideas, and other people think we have dumb ideas. Yeah, everyone thinks everyone else has dumb ideas.
1: Okay, so <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I that's fine, I guess. I and and so what? Like no, okay, but <laughs> I think I look. I, I think one can one can take the 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 settledness or unsettledness and the value or lack of value of the ideas and take it completely separately from a question of uh, influence, Um, how and why some people are good at at influencing, how some people are good at uh, becoming famous, whether it's luck, whether it's intellect, whether it's timing, whether it's a mix of all of those, a certain kind of charisma, a certain kind of knack, Um, it's a complicated question. None of that has anything to do, I think, with... With the question of, uh, you know, the content of the ideas themselves. Okay. okay. For me. For me. Okay.
0: Yeah. There's, okay look, there's a few things I want to unpack here. Because you put a lot on the table. Uh, the, 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 the figurative table.
1: The figurative table. Since we're not in the same room. <laughs> yes, we, we there's are. not even a table between us. Anyway, go on.
0: Okay. So one thing to clarify, and not to nitpick too much, Demir, Mm -hmm. I don't think the distinction is between acceptable and unacceptable ideas.
1: Settled and unsettled, sorry.
0: Unsettled versus versus settled is actually quite different. Sure. Because all it depends on is what 98% of a given society agree on or, or don't agree on. So the ideas in some absolute sense could be bad, good, evil, whatever. But that doesn't necessarily translate to their settledness or unsettledness, right
1: of course, I think was it with Jamie Kirchick that we were discussing this at the last couple of episodes ago that your ninety eight is completely arbitrary, of course, so whether <laughs> well, it's, mean, it' whether it's ninety or ninety eight I guess matters on to some okay. level, but like go on,
0: but that I mean yeah, but that so we, you have to you have to draw the red line somewhere, no of and, course. I think any time 98% of a society, at least now, don't, I mean, uh, obviously 500 years ago it was different and 98% of populations agreed about slavery. And so I think the pre-modern context, this wouldn't necessarily apply. Um, And then maybe that also, I think, introduces an interesting notion of progress that is built into my assumption that we have reached a point in modern society where if ninety eight percent of people agree on something in a developed democracy like ours, then it's probably it's probably somewhat acceptable. So I, I am co- there is a sort of tension in my own.
1: Well, you just said acceptable. Here. I just want to note that know, you just I, said liter- acceptable uh, yeah, as well, right? <laughs> not not settled. You said acceptable.
0: I know. I'm literally saying that there's a tension. in my yeah. own Argument.
1: <laughs> okay. Go on. <laughs>
0: um. Okay. Anyway, there there is some, okay. There is something I could say about that, but just to go on because there's some other interesting things that you said. Okay, do ideas just happen to people, or do people, or do people develop ideas, and then those ideas have influence? Where the ideas are more the independent variable. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting debate. Look, and in this sense, I agree with you in, in that. The goal of discussing ideas is not necessarily progress. So I don't need this discussion of ideas to lead to better outcomes. And of course, as you know, I would question the very concept of better outcomes, because once you start talking that way, you're assuming a technocratic uh, premise. Right. And we know and our listeners will know that both of us are uncomfortable with this idea of producing better outcomes. Who is the arbiter of what is a better outcome. And usually when we talk about outcomes, we're talking about very narrow technocratic criteria, right? Yeah. So what I would say instead is that ideas are the the lifeblood of democracy. And that's actually probably a a bit of a platitude and even perhaps a banal cliche. But I think at some level, where I see ideas as being important is that They represent that something is happening in a democratic society that is maybe not entirely healthy, but is at least somewhat healthy. The fact that we are having these vigorous debates right now tells us that our, our, our democracy is alive and it's vigorous and people are passionate. Now, does that have to lead to good outcomes? No, it could possibly lead to bad outcomes in the sense that if we consider the justification of rioting and looting to be a bad outcome then obviously that's you know not good but um so that's where i would say putting aside um the ends of this the means of debate the very fact that we as americans are engaging in these debates uh, is itself good in some in some absolute sense does that make sense
1: no, I mean, it makes sense. Um,
0: but you're just like, it makes sense, but it's No, 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 wrong. but
1: like, no, but like, I again, it's the question, I, I, I yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, quite fully fleshed out on it yet, but, but I just imagine, for example, that, um, this is, this is, this is a half-baked comparison, but bear with me, um, There were street battles in Weimar, Germany, and a lot of ideas were being debated. (laughs) It was a democracy. I'm sorry. No, that's not true. I mean, not after a certain point. Not after a certain point, but up until that certain point, there was plenty of it. And one wouldn't say in retrospect that that was a healthy society, largely because uh, a lot of, I think, um, ideas that, again, you know, I'm not not making some case here to say if they could have sidelined these ideas permanently— uh, Hitler could have been avoided that's not my point that's very much not my point I'm rather saying that all of this stuff all these bad ideas were symptomatic of a certain kind of malaise and disease that, that culminated in what we had now mind you and everyone dear listeners I'm not saying we're Weimar I'm not saying uh, uh, you know Hitler Trump or Trump's successor will be Hitler none of that none of that I am saying, though, that that I I do reject the premise of of in a democracy, ideas and debate are necessarily a good Um, as as if as if now, look, I I, this is also not a brief for, like I said, going back to the question of like if we had only repressed such and such an idea that uh, we'll be in a better place. It's a rejection of the idea of the of the premise that that debate is in and of itself a sign of health.
0: Well, we can't know if if ideas are bad or good un, unless we debate them, right? I mean, and this is where I think there, at some level, there has to be some debate. Now we can debate we can debate when to close debate, and maybe that's where the Germany comparison becomes relevant. That you know, you introduce ideas, they're discussed, and at some point, someone has to draw a line, and that's. I think that's a job for authorities when laws are actually being broken and and, and constitutions subverted. I mean, in this case, what what I think actually happened with the NPR interview is that this person's views were actually exposed in a way that clarified matters, where more and more um, elite, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, elite influencers or or journalists or analysts. They saw this interview and they saw what was being said, frankly and openly and with clarity. And they said, now, like, we knew this was kind of bad before, but now there is no doubt. And maybe people who were on the fence before read this interview and they might have thought to themselves, huh, this doesn't make sense. This is wildly incoherent. So I think this kind of exposing of bad ideas, it worked the way it was meant to. And again, this is a cliche and it doesn't always work work this way in practice. But the idea that sunlight is the best disinfectant, I don't buy that. It doesn't, you know, but sometimes it actually works the way it's meant to work. And this was one of those cases where I think. Um, the case for rioting and looting, because it was being danced around, and because people actually weren't saying what they believed to be true, we couldn't actually debate the badness of the idea. We couldn't even realize the badness of the idea. But when it was laid out in a mainstream publication, finally we could say, "Now we know," and now there, and 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 then people can can judge that, judge that accordingly. You think um, that happened? I mean, that was my sense. Looking at everyone, I mean, the fact that almost no one was defending what she said, even people who might otherwise be sympathetic, that to me was a positive sign. But I will also say that I wouldn't recommend this 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 notion of vigorous, almost unlimited debate in a young, fragile democracy. So Weimar was um, a young, fragile democracy. It was not consolidated um there were profound levels of uncertainty after uh, you know after after world war 1 obviously so this is a context that is completely different
1: no no again um, i'm not saying you're I, Weimar, I,
0: right but yeah yeah no. but i'm saying that because we are i would argue a strong resilient and long standing democracy we have the luxury and perhaps even the privilege to have such wide ranging debates and discussions that i perhaps would not advise for Egypt in 2012 you know what I mean
1: yeah I mean look I I guess what I'm getting at is that that um, when you start talking about look the content of her ideas, even that is less interesting to me. First, I'd say I, I'm not convinced that any minds were changed one way or the other on this, but I, you know, we'd have to do polling, I guess, to figure out before and after reading this article insofar as people care. Well, that, no, no, it just that, became that less
0: fashionable. So even if the... Has it, era...
1: has it, like, you haven't seen, I, again, I'm so not following Nicole, that closely. I think that it's going to be harder going
0: forward for Nicole Hannah-Jones and some random prestigious journalist at the Times or the Post or whatever to engage in this silliness because now, you know, we're like, OK, this is what they were dancing around. Now it's actually being said by someone else. I just think that there's going to be more care about those types of arguments because everyone knows what an embarrass or maybe I'm just being presumptuous here. But I think there was quite a high level of embarrassment involved for the author of in defense of looting. And if Nicole Hannah Jones wants to engage in that kind of silly discourse, she'll have to think twice about it going forward.
1: I, I have I have no reason to believe that, <laughs> uh, but but it may be true. And I'm not going to. I mean, I can't I can't contest it. I have no idea. I'm not that optimistic. I really I just I don't think it it, it, it made that much difference one way or the other. I guess I guess the 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 question comes down to is that the the still you know. I, I keep wanting to just like flip this inside out for you because I I don't I don't think that again I I'm, I'm very skeptical of this idea of 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 progress coming through debate and like judging whether an idea is good or bad like pub, like through through some sort of shared discourse I don't think that that's literally it's not how it works the the problem with what I was getting at uh, you know was I was saying earlier at that dinner. Um, and even with this kind of stuff as you said in your in your in your opening remarks uh how this is this like you know fashionable university communism um it's it's that look the uh the problem with Weimar wasn't that it was a fragile democracy and the ideas were were too broad uh it's that part of the polity was revolutionary and was trying to overthrow the regime is really what it comes down to. Now, look, if you are a hard committed uh, leftist uh, who has uh, sympathies that go that far to the left, they look at what was going on in Weimar and say that this was perfectly fine within the context of the society and that there's a unique evil that arose on the right um, and, and, uh, you know, empowered, empowered, a, a monster like Hitler who then, you know, uh, did his unspeakable evils. Um, the other way to look at it is that society was, uh, in a lot of trouble, uh, already then because they had revolutionaries that were fighting that fight. So again, I don't really care about the content of this crazy woman's stuff. I don't really even care that a major, um, uh, media company gave it airtime, uh, That she was not laughed out of the studio, that she was given airtime, that she was given a polite hearing, um, tells us that we are not in a good place because a certain kind of revolutionary rhetoric uh, is, you know, more mainstream than I think is advisable. I don't think that this stuff gets solved by people listening to it and being like, oh, that's pretty crazy, and then they stop believing it. I, don't, I just don't think that's how ideas work. I don't think that's how societies work. And I don't think that's the role of ideas in this sort of stuff. So therefore, like I said, I, I do think I have been reasonably consistent on this. It's it's the question of, um, you know, whether the New York Times is going, like, Maoist and whether the NPR is beyond uh, salvation and all this stuff, it just doesn't interest me that much because it it just tells us that it is where it is at this point and it is what it is at this point. Um. So there's that. Let me just like take one more stab at something else. Um. Uh. And y- you react on it. I mean, maybe this is what it comes down to: is that that that. So I, I just I just read today a uh, 2010 2011 uh, review by John Gray of a book of an intellectual biography of Ernst Gellner. And um, John Gray was actually pretty savage on Gellner in parts there, saying that, you know, um, he has a certain kind of uh, a desire and a belief in liberalism that nevertheless he can't ground in anything, and that he takes a a lot of pride in... um, Making that case that liberalism is grounded in nothing uh, except these like very minimal sort of, um, I don't know, consequentialist is not the right word. I forget what exactly they're saying, but basically that that. It's almost epiphenomenal of the needs of a modernizing society. I think that's what Gellner would have said about these things. So nationalism is basically a coping mechanism as societies, modernizing societies have to create a sense of bonding. So it's nothing in and of itself. It's just a product of modernization. And I think a lot of stuff in Gellner's sort of stuff ends up coming up on that. And I think John Gray does a pretty good job um, showing the problems with that view because uh, it ultimately is grounded in nothing. It sort of floats in, in midair. Um, the difference I th- I'd say, because I, I find a lot to like in Gellner. So reading that was really interesting to me. The difference I think between where Gellner ends up and where I end up on this sort of stuff is that I'm much more of a, well, I mean, I'm, I'm much less committed to this. I I'm, I'm much more open to the idea of, of pointing out that this doesn't sit on anything concrete or sound. That and, you know, so I, I would imagine, I don't know, I don't know enough, but I, I imagine Gellner was not a fan of 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 habermas and and that whole sort of school of of uh of liberalism. Um, I think I am even less of a convinced liberal than Gellner. I am not illiberal because I don't think that illiberalism is better. I just don't see anything intrinsic about any of it, which is something that I think Gellner wouldn't go that far. So I guess that's my, my point in all of this, is that, you know, people like like Leo Strauss, people like heaven for Carl Schmitt, uh, all these people um, all point at this element. I mean, you know, even people like Patrick Deneen today and, and, and uh, you know, Vermeule perhaps, point to this fact that... Um, what might be the sort of Habermas approach to liberalism, this idea that of like broad tolerance and ideas as balm and progress that, that in fact, all of these tendencies within liberalism are self-defeating ultimately. Um, I don't know if I'd go as far as Pat Denine in that book. I'm not sure that's true. That said, I don't celebrate this idea that clearly bad for society ideas are, you know, being debated. I don't see that there's any intrinsic value or worth to be had there. That they are is regrettable, nothing to be done about it. Does that make sense to you?
0: Okay, there, uh, there was a lot there. I mean, the liberalism stuff we, we would probably have to bracket, which is like a whole nother yes, yes. conversation. Is it freestanding? What are, you know? Uh, no, no, no. We can,
1: oh. we can do that another time, but, <laughs>
0: or in, or in the special, the special bonus episode. Yeah, so yeah. what we're going to start doing, I think, is actually, um, splitting the episodes up in some way and then um if you subscribe and become a member of wisdom of crowds you'll be able to get um you know the second half uh but we can talk about that more later before but yeah but what you but um oh god i was gonna say something really profound but that i literally forgot about it
1: for marketing marketing ate your brain (laughs) Anyway, we the, don't want to okay. talk about liberalism. We want to talk about about. Uh... But
0: the last sentence you said just. Rem- <laughs> no, look, look. Hit so, me. there's is there any intrinsic value to? Um, so it gets at a very fundamental question: like, is there any intrinsic value to any like you know? And I, I sometimes I feel this when you know we get in in some of these conversations and any conversation really about. The nature of liberalism when we go uh, when one goes really deep, y- um, y- you keep on going back and back and trying to find what your starting assumptions are and whether something is based on anything solid or solid enough to actually withstand vigorous critique.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know you'll probably guess where I end up. And and this is actually one of the reasons that. In some ways, I feel more strongly about, and you know, not to be a broken record here, but one of the reasons I feel more strongly today about the importance of God than I would have, you know, five or six years ago, and this is independent of me being a believer because, you know, I've always believed in God. Mm. But I feel like what I believe in more strongly now is the necessity of God. Yeah. And that's been a shift that I've experienced myself. Okay, in, but in but, recent, so yeah, I, I know. That. <laughs> but that's a personal.
1: But no, I get it. But in a sense, that's personal. But what, what do you what do you say to to uh, to at least um, uh, self avowedly atheizing societies like Europe, not America? Uh, but let's say, what do you say to a bunch of self avowedly secularized elites that are running America? Are they bad? Are they toxic? Are they uh, is it uh something that is not intolerable but unsustainable
0: yeah certainly. I think there's something unsustainable about um, post uh, post christian western civilization i mean I guess the question is what is meant by the word unsustainable? What does that actually mean in practice? I think the real consequences will only be seen decades to come, so it 's very hard. To kind of get into that speculative conversation, the fact that um, increasingly American elites um, are are not believers—do I think that's a problem? Yes, because I and I think to go back to what we've discussed, you know, several times before—that that's what's giving woke ideology such a lease on life is the fact that it's a replacement for what isn't there and what hasn't been there. Which is a foundational set of premises about metaphysics and about the way the world is and the way about and and what has caused the world to be the the way it is, and you know once you once you lose that in, in intellectual architecture, even if you're not fully aware of it, you end up being somewhat adrift. Now, is that the end of the world? It's quite literally not the end of the world. I believe in America, and the future will see more and more of these. Um, Elites who don't have this this foundational architecture in positions of power and influence, I think it'll lead to a lot of ridiculous, silly ideas. Um, That's a problem. Is it existential? Is it a threat to America? In some ways, it is. In that, and what I'm most concerned about, and again, you know, this is just to repeat, maybe can't even remember where we talked about this, or maybe it was just me and you talking and it wasn't actually public. Um, but, you know, um, it, it comes back to what I'm really concerned about, which is shame and self-disgust. No, that was actually, um, and we should include that, hopefully, in the show notes. You know, we had a very good back and forth about this on, on Wisdom of Crowd's newsletter, where we talked about the problem of shame and can a society sustain itself and survive if if it ends up hating what it is, um, that there has to be some conception of, um, of pride and, and comfort and even self love, not excessive self love, because that can be dangerous, as we know, historically. But, you know, and this is where I feel like the freestanding ideology of modern elites, where it's based on nothing except these ever changing standards of of progress uh, you know that to me is where the danger is because there is nothing solid there is no architecture it's an architecture without architecture it's a religion without religion so on and so forth well
1: so so then then you know i i, I think you and i are in agreement on that but um then what's what's the role of ideas in this because uh, what you're talking about is faith. What you're talking about is what we've discussed, this whole sort of, you know, uh, what what the American idea is based on. It's a faith-based premise. Now, you know, uh, following Leo Strauss, right, it's that, that there's, there are these principles of natural right that are embedded in the Constitution and the Declaration, and, you know, early liberalism embraced this sort of stuff, and it's only later on that it, it ends up uh, abandoning it. And... Um, e- What's the role of ideas in this? It's not ideas that you're talking about. That's not the lifeblood of a society it's not it's not that now again, you know i I just want to say it again because the more we talk about this, I feel like i'm gonna I could be taken out of context and be sent made to sound like some sort of weird authoritarian leg humper fascist but, yeah uh, <laughs> but but it's 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 this is not a brief for limiting ideas. it's a brief for not worrying so much about their content because I think it's epiphenomenal. And therefore, it's the idea of ensuring a good hearing for uh, contested ideas in the hopes that we will reach some kind of new progress through some kind of, I don't know what, like, um, uh, you know, Hegelian dialectic of of uh, as these things sort of clash with each other and we come out to some sort of um. Uh, what is it called? Thesis antithesis. What's the final outcome of those things? Doesn't matter. Uh, that that you, you, that you reach some sort of new plane at the end of it. Um. I, I just I just don't buy it. So tell me again. Like, uh, what is the role of ideas if 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 faith is the is the core?
0: So, I will tell you, but I think this is a good place to bracket the conversation in part because I don't have a ready answer for you and I want like a minute to think about it. Okay. But I think this is a good place to say that we will continue the conversation and, um, you know, we hope that you'll consider joining us for that. Um, (laughs) This is is so unnatural to me. Yeah. Um, If you do want to do that, um, you can go to wisdomofcrowds.live/slash subscribe. Uh, for the price of a latte per month, depending on how expensive your lattes are in various parts of the world, you can get access to this um, additional content, which I'm sure will be wonderful. Um,
1: <laughs> I'm sure as well. Yes. So, so with right. that, Demir, yeah. to be continued. To be continued. Talk soon. Okay. All Later, Demir. Bye.